sickness. So I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles. You can either turn to, click to. doesn't matter to me whether you have a, a paper Bible or you use an electronic device, an iPhone, a, a droid, a tablet, whatever you use. doesn't matter to us. What matters to us is you have God's Word and you, you, you read God's Word and you study God's Word. And so I'm going to have you turn to Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 15. We've been in this series called Lost Connection. We've been looking at these issues of, of, of things that cause us to break a connection, things that cause us to lose a connection in relationship. If you've been with us, you know we've been journeying verse by verse through the book of Ephesians, and we come to this place to where we're going to start looking at this issue of things that cause us to, to break relationships or break connection. Now listen, I don't, I don't know if, if you're like me, uh, but I hate to get a busy signal. I hate to, I hate, well, really and truly in technology today, we really don't get a busy signal anymore, do we? Usually what happens is they either send you to voicemail, you know when someone sent you to voicemail, right? When it just barely rings and, it, and then all of a sudden, bam, you're in like voicemail. So you know that they sent you to voicemail or they don't return your text or they don't return your email. I don't know if you're like me, but I get pretty frustrated with that. I mean, I love technology, but I can get frustrated with technology Whenever I'm trying to get in touch with someone and I've sent them a text message, a call, or whatever, and they're not responding back to me, I wonder, does God ever get frustrated with us? Does God ever get frustrated with us that he's trying to communicate to us and what he's getting back from us is a busy signal? I mean, to where we come into a worship service and we worship the way in which we do and, and maybe we pray and maybe we say some things like, God, I need you to speak to me. I mean, I, I need you to speak to me about some things in my life, some areas of my life, and God speaks to us, and what he gets back is a busy signal. And what gets in the way is our hopes and our dreams and our schedules and our destination and our desire. And so I wonder, does God ever get, does he ever get frustrated with us? In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, I believe the scripture talks about that. Paul talks about this issue to where we respond back to God. We look at the way in which we live our life. Here's what the scripture says, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. He says, look carefully then how you walk. So you know, if you've been with us through the book of Ephesians, you know whenever Paul talks about walking, walk, the way that you walk, he's talking about a lifestyle. He's talking about your lifestyle. I mean, if you life journal with us, you know 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1, uh, just, uh, just a couple of days ago, Paul talked about this issue. To, he, he says, I urge you to make sure that you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to where you're walking in a way that pleases him. So whenever we see this word walk, we know that he's talking about a lifestyle. And so Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So now all of a sudden, Paul gives us a glimpse. There's a wise way to walk, and there's an unwise way to walk. There's an effective way to walk. There's an ineffective way to walk. In other words, there's an ineffective life, and there's an effective life. There's a wise life. There's an unwise life. Making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what, what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but instead... Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, he tells us that there's this wise way to walk, there's an unwise way to walk. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he, he doesn't use wise, unwise, he uses effective. There's an, a, there's an effective way to walk. There's a, and so if there's an effective way to walk, there's an ineffective way to walk. If there's a wise way to walk, there's an unwise way to walk. And so let me ask you, what kind of life do you want to have? What kind of life do you want to live? You want to live an effective life or an ineffective life? 
You want to live a wise life, an unwise life. See, my guess is because you're here this morning, you really want to live an effective life. You really want your life to count. You see, for the sense of, of planting and starting Fellowship of the Rockies, since 1995, one, one of our goals for our ministry is this, is that we would be effective. We'd be effective in ministry and we'd be effective in the community. And that our, our ministry would count for something and, and it would be this effective ministry. And so let me ask you, what, what kind of life do you want to live? I mean, maybe you were like me and maybe growing up, did, did you get the question a lot? Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Now, I don't know what you said. I know what I said depending on the different seasons of life that I was in. But the Christian life is not a life of arrival. In other words, this, we, we don't arrive in the Christian life. The Christian life is a journey. The Christian life, what Paul says, is a walk. And, and so, in other words, we should, we should never stop growing. I mean, our, our ears and our nose never stops growing, so we should never stop growing spiritually, right? We understand this issue that, you know what? That I desire to live an effective life. See, I think one of the challenges of a, of a long-time believer, a long-time Christian, is helping you to understand that God has a next step for every one of us. A lot of times when you talk to long-time Christians about living an effective life or serving and giving, you've got to kind of convince them. But you take a new believer. You take someone that's new in Christ. You're like, you just tell me what the Bible says and I'm, I'm going to do it. So what kind of life do you want to live. I mean, I want my life to count. I want to live an effective life. I want to live a, a wise life. And I, I don't know what the future looks like. I don't know what a paycheck will look like. I don't know what I'll be doing. I don't know what, what position I'll have or anything like that. But what I do know is this, that I desire to live a faithful, a fruitful, a productive life, an effective life, a, a wise life. I mean, when I look at Jesus' ministry, I realize that, that Jesus lived about 33 years on this earth, and his life was an effective life. And I've gone through a season to where I've had people around me, family members that have passed away. And this has really come home to me. And Jesus lived 33 years on this earth, and he lived an effective life. It was a short life, but it was an effective life. Listen, I'm telling you, I would rather live 33 years of an effective life rather than live to an 100 and live an ineffective life. Life is not quantified by how long you live, how many digits are in your bank account. That is not the stuff of life. The stuff of life is this. The stuff of life is a position and posture before a holy God. When I'm walking as a wise person, when I'm living out in an effective life, when I'm making the best use of my time, what the scripture says is this, is that I am faithful and I am fruitful and I'm living this life that has meaning and that has purpose. I mean, there's too many Christians I, that I just believe that have gotten to that place to where they're not making the most of their time. They don't understand this resource that they have. They don't understand the difference between an effective life and an ineffective life or a wise life or an unwise life. This morning, I want to give you three things that are just deeply personal to me about where we are is, is, is maybe a, a community, where we are as a church, where we are individually or personally. So if you want to make the best use of your time, if you want to live a life that counts, if you want to live an, an effective life, however you want to phrase that, there's three things that you must understand. There's three things that you must do. 
The first one is this. I must be careful how I spend my time. I must be careful what I give my attention to. I must be careful how I spend my time. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but there's a difference between money and time. Money, you can make more money. Money, you can, you can get more money. Money, you can get a second job. You can get a bonus. You can do all kinds of other things to try to get more money. But guess what? Time, you can't do anything to get more time. You've only been given so much time. I've only been given so much time. And that's why Paul says this in verse 15. He says, look carefully. In other words, inspect. Inspect your life. Look carefully then how you walk, your manner of living, not as unwise, but as wise. In other words, unwise in the Greek means this, that living a life that, that God doesn't expect you to live. An unwise live, life is not walking in a manner, not walking in a way that God would have you walk. See, a wise life in the Greek is totally different. It's in respect to divine revelation. It's in respect to God. It's in respect to living a life that God would have you live. We look at Paul. Paul wrote these words. If you know anything about Paul's testimony, then you know this. There is a point in Paul's life that he didn't live a wise life. There's a time in Paul's life he didn't live an effective life, and that is good news for you, and that is good news for me. Because you can move from living an ineffective life to an effective life. You can move from, from living an unwise life, a life that is not worthy in the manner in which you were called to a wise life. See, before Paul met Christ, his name was Saul. And before Paul, Paul met Christ, he was, he, was, he was fighting against the good guys. He was fighting against us. He was, he was killing Christians. I mean, he was killing us. He was killing Christians. Saul was doing everything he possibly could to keep the work of God from happening in his community in his time. I mean, it was unbelievable testimony, but then all of a sudden, Saul meets Christ, Saul meets God, and God changes more than just his name. God changed his name from Saul to Paul, but God changed his life and gave, gave him a life that was once ineffective, and it became effective, a life that was once unwise, that became a wise life. And all of a sudden, God used Paul dramatically. When Paul wrote, God used Paul to write 13 or 14 uh, books of the New Testament, um, regard, that just matters if you believe Paul wrote Hebrews or not. God used Paul to plant 14 churches, and out of those 14 churches, there it multiplied into the thousands. Paul was able to live an effective life, and his life affected the theology and the, and the philosophy of, of like uh, the Roman Empire. Paul's life was full of purpose, but it was full of pain, and it was full of persecution, and, and yes, it was full of misunderstandings. There were people, there were Christians who didn't like Paul. They didn't think he had really changed. And so they, they blogged about Paul and they sent him text messages and they sent him emails and they said all kinds of things about him because they misunderstood him. Listen, I'm telling you this morning, if you decide and say, you know what, I just want to live a wise life. I want my life to count. I want to live an effective life. Then I cannot make any promises to you that your life from that point on will be full with, filled with bubble gum and ice cream and rainbows and ponies and all those other things. There are going to be challenges and there are going to be difficulties, but I can promise you this. Your life will count. And you'll live an effective life. It doesn't mean that everything's going to go your way, that everything works out the way you would like for it to work out. But it does mean this. You will live an effective life. You will live a meaningful life. And then what Scripture says is this, that you're going to be rewarded for it in this life and the life to come. 
When Jesus is the one that said, right, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. There is an indication in Scripture over and over and over that when you choose to live an effective life, when you choose to live a wise life, you're not only going to be rewarded in this world, guess what? You're going to be rewarded in the world to come. And so I believe in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul is just, he pulls back the curtain to his heart. He does this in Romans 16. He does this in 1 Corinthians 16. We're going to read, if you, you, you can turn there, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 5. And before I read these verses, I just want you to understand what's going on. I mean, Paul is just, some people have asked Paul to come visit him. And it, it just sounds confusing. I mean, when you look at this, you look at Paul's life. And there's, there's two I do's, and there are five if God wills. And it's a glimpse into his heart. It's a glimpse into how he lived his life. Watch this, and I'll, I'll try to emphasize some of these so you, you kind of grab this. And so verse 5, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door of effective work has been opened to me and there are many adversaries. What is Paul saying? It's like, get a grip, Paul. Get a, get a to-do list, Paul. Get a calendar, Paul. Do you not, Paul, do you not even know what you're doing tomorrow for crying out loud, Paul, get an iPhone. I mean, Siri... Siri will, will, like, organize you. Do you even know, Paul, do you even know what you're doing tomorrow? I mean, Paul is, like, saying, you know, I, I really want to visit you. I want to if it's on God's schedule. I want to if it's part of his plan. But here's what I'm going to do. Because I'm living an effective life, and my life is no longer my own. And I'm going to live an effective life. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stay in Ephesus as long as God tells me to stay in Ephesus. And when God is done with me in Ephesus then guess what? I'll come visit you. In other words, what Paul is saying, I'm going to make the best use of my time. And I'm going to totally surrender to God's schedule. Let me just tell you. God never intended, never called any of us to be a spectator of what he is doing. You know, I just watched so many people they were once in the game, serving and giving. And they moved from the game to the fans, to the spectators. And you know, when you do that, you know what happens? You not only become a spectator, you become a commentator. Right? You become a running commentator on what's wrong with the church and why don't they do this and they should do this and they need to change this and, and all of these other things. And so the danger is when you get out of the game or the danger is when you're not in the game, you become a running commentator over those who are living a faithful life, over those who are trying to live an effective life. Paul says over and over in Scripture that you never, you never allow someone who is not living an effective life, who is not living a faithful life, who is not walking by faith, speaking to those people's lives that are living an effective life. You never allow that. You never come to that place. It's about this issue of being surrendered to him, what Paul is saying. 
I mean, this principle goes from churches to organizations. Can you imagine yesterday when, when the Thunder Wolves were playing Angelo State, which they dominated, by the way? There you go. Can you, can you imagine Coach Riston at some point say, guys, I don't know what play to call. Let's ask the fans. Let's ask the spectators. Let's, let's ask, ask those that weren't in the weight room, weren't studying game films, weren't looking at the opponent, weren't looking at any of that stuff. Let's please the fans. Let's, let's us ask them. No. You only talk to people that are in the game. You only talk to people that were in the weight room and running wind sprints. I don't know if you've ever been in the locker room of a winning team. Awesome. <laughs> right? Sometimes the church, I'm just saying, sometimes the church acts like they're in the locker room of the losing team. We're the winning team. And I don't know if you've ever been in the locker room of a winning team. There's not one of those men in those locker rooms saying it wasn't worth it. All the tryouts, the wind sprints, lifting weights, all the pain, all the hurt, all the discipline wasn't worth it. Would have, been, would have rather been in the stands than on the field. Not one of them would say that. Paul is trying to help us to understand that living an effective life is to be in the game, to be a part of community. Listen, God is doing some unbelievable things here at Fellowship of the Rockies. It still blows me in, blows me away week in and week out. I, this last week when I got the text message, Thanksgiving weekend, and I get a text message that we're baptizing 17 people. I'm like, are you serious? Most churches, everybody's still trying to overcome a, a turkey hangover, Right? Most churches, they're cutting services. They're reducing the number of services. Not our church. God's doing some amazing things. If you knew all the stories of the people that were baptized this weekend in all services, again, the next service, you know what I have a fear of for some of you? You're going to end your life. You're going to look back on your life, and you're going to say, you know what? God placed me in an unbelievable church. God placed me in an unbelievable church from 1995 all the way through. It was unbelievable. And I missed it as a spectator. I never got in the game. I never got in the game. Do you realize your spiritual gift has been assigned to this body? And when you don't get in the game, I suffer and we all suffer. That's so why Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, he says, But seek ye first. What do you seek first? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. In this, in his righteousness, and then guess what? And then all these things, what things? Everything else will be added to you. It's this issue to understand the difference between living an effective life and an ineffective life. The second thing is, if you want to live a wise life, the second thing is this. I must accept that God has a purpose for my life. I mean, I must come to the place, and listen, Paul had to come to grips with this. Listen, I had to come to grips with this. And we must understand that God has a plan for our life. Ephesians 5.16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. I don't need to convince anyone in this room that the days are evil. The days in which we live, it's getting darker and darker. It is evil. 
But I will tell you this, what Scripture says. When the days are evil, that is no time for Christians to pull back. That is no time for the church to roll back. That is no time for the church to kind of circle up the wagons and just give in and just kind of hang on. Paul is saying this, guess what? When the, when the days are evil, that's when the church advances. That's when the church gets aggressive. Why? Because this world needs us. This community needs us. And it needs people that are all in. See, Paul lived a surrendered life. In other words, that means he yielded his schedule and his, his, his dreams and his hopes and his de uh, decisions and his destination, his direction to God. Why did he do that? Because for Paul, God wasn't a ritual. God wasn't a tradition. God wasn't a custom. God wasn't some weekend event that you just kind of did on the weekend and it didn't impact your life. See, for Paul, it was totally personal. Paul's life had been dramatically changed. He was one Saul who was like killing Christians, doing everything he could to destroy the work of Christ. And God changed more than just his name. In fact, his Saul was like a leader of a gang. And they were headed out, and they were going to kill more Christians, more followers of Christ. And then all of a sudden, God shows up, and God pushes Paul off of a, a horse, and, and he, shines this, he, he shines this bright light in Paul's eyes. He says, Paul, what are you... What are you doing? What are you doing? And Paul says, who are you? Who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus of Nazareth, the one that you are persecuting. And Paul, I'm pursuing you. And Paul, I want you on my team. I want you, I want you to give, give your life to me. And I want you to accept me. And, I, and I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to give you a new life. See, God changed more than just Paul's name. He changed him. And Paul's life never forgot that moment. And Paul's life was totally and completely yielded to God. And God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. And whatever you want me to do, God, right now, I'm willing to do it. Paul once lived an ineffective life, and, and God called him out of that life. And Paul said, God, wherever you want me to go, now you understand 1 Corinthians chapter 16, or 16, verses 5 through 10. Wherever you want me to go, whoever you want me to talk to, whatever prison you place me in, whatever town you put me in, whatever hurt, pain, persecution comes my way, Whatever you ask me to do, I'll do because I'm your guy. Because I want to live an effective life. See, Paul came to this place. It's just so interesting. Paul came to this place. We understand that God has a purpose and a plan for his life. Ecclesiastes 3.11 talks about this issue. The writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, was a, said one of the wisest men. He was the wisest man. And he writes these words. We may not understand it, but I, I want us to understand it this morning because it's just so powerful. We don't have time for me to unpack this. One day I'll totally unpack this for you. Ecclesiastes 3.11, look at this first sentence. God, he, speaking of God, God has made everything beautiful and it's time is everything beautiful. What's that scripture saying? Paul could say that there was a lot of his testimony, there's a lot of his past that wasn't beautiful, right? There's some sin, there's some rebellion, there's some hurt, there's some pain, he's killing Christians. And so Paul could say, well, wait a minute, my testimony, not pretty. 
My testimony, not beautiful. Oh, and by the way, your pastor, me, my testimony before I met Christ, not beautiful, not pretty. Fact is, there is nothing pretty about it. It was sin, and it was dark, and it was, it was painful, and all of those other things. So what is, what is the writer of Ecclesiastes saying here? What did Paul get about God's purpose and plan? It is this. God has made everything beautiful. There really should be a comma there in its time. When Paul came to Christ, God redeemed his testimony. God forgave him. God redeemed the time. He redeemed the decisions. And all of a sudden, Paul says, when I look at my testimony, when I look at the life that I was living, the decisions that I made, God made it beautiful in his time because he, like, forgave me. And he not only forgave me, he said I could serve him and I could follow him. How could I not? How could I not want to live in an effective life? Listen, let me tell you something. Don't be ashamed of your testimony. Your testimony shows the power, the love, and the grace of God. And it is beautiful in its time. And then he goes on and says, and God has set eternity. And he has set eternity into every man's heart. That means from the very beginning of a time, for the very beginning of your life, he put in your heart a desire to know him. That the longings of this earth could not be satisfied without him. So that you would pursue him and so that you would follow him. I'm telling you, I don't know about you. But I want to live an effective life. I want to live a wise life. After what he has called me out of. After what he has forgiven me of. How could I not? Living an effective life, the third and the last thing, if you want to make the best use of your time, you must understand God's will. I must understand God's will for my life. I'm going to read these verses one last time. And verse 15, lift, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will empower us. He will empower you. He empowers me to live an effective life. Unfortunately, we live in a culture, we live in a time where people value comfort, convenience, and cost over meaning of life. A lot of people talk today about what are the idols of our society, what are the idols of our time. And they'll say things like, it's materialism, it's possessions, it's, it's sex, all these other things. I, I don't think that's it at all. My personal opinion, you know what the biggest, you know the, you know the biggest idol that the church fights? You know the biggest idol of our time? Safety. People just want to be safe. People value convenience, comfort, and safety. over living an effective life. They'll take that over meaning of life. I worry about the generation growing up and we got grandkids and so I'm watching this happen. I'm worried that this generation coming up will never ever take a risk because this is the greatest bubble wrapped safe generation we've ever raised, right? 
I mean, we got helmets, knee pads, shin pads, bubble wrap, and that's just so they can ride a tricycle, right? I mean, you like, you like need a degree to try to get a car seat in and out of a car and five-point harness and, and airbags that deploy and all that other stuff. I mean, it, it's, like, it's like crazy. We had, we, had, we had restraints growing up. We had seat belts. We had a car seat. It was called my mom's arm, right? I mean, she just wham, and she, I mean, she could stop a family of four with an arm. You know, and I look at this generation coming up, and, and, and you know what? It's just a safe generation, no risk. You know, half the games that I grew up with are totally outlawed today. You know, one of our favorite games, many of you have played it. You know what it was? We played lawn darts. Remember lawn darts? That big old dart with a, with a metal point on it. And when we got tired of throwing it at targets, what would we do? Yeah, we threw it at each other. <laughs> My wife seriously got hit in the thigh with a lawn dart by her brother. Yeah, that stuff would be like child abuse now. And half the games that I was raised on, you can no longer play. Because we live in a time where people, they just want to be safe. They just want, they just want comfort. But listen, Paul says, because the days are evil, that's no time to roll back. That's no time to play it safe. See, Paul understood this. He understood this better than many of us. Paul understood that God's will for his life was a life of surrender. Now, surrender. So, we, so we're tracking surrender, not sacrifice. People will tell Karen and I all the time, says, oh, what a sacrifice. You guys moving your family from Houston, Texas, Pueblo, Colorado, 1995, without any financial backing, without any financial resources, from a promise of God to start a church. What a sacrifice. That was not a sacrifice. Surrender is not sacrifice. Surrender is the safest place to be. Now, if you live a life of surrender and God is leading you, guess what? All the pressure is on him. If you live a surrendered life, and if you live an effective life, then you can say, God, God, this is your problem. You got me into this mess, you can get me out of this mess. A surrendered life safest place to be. Because all the pressure is on Him. The greatest thing I ever did was surrender my life to Him. Listen, without surrender, I would have never moved from Houston, Texas to Pueblo, Colorado to start Fellowship of the Rockies with a church planting team. Surrender is this. Surrender is saying, God, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to serve, whatever you want me to give, I'll do. I just want to live a faithful, fruitful, productive, effective life. See, when I live and when you live a surrendered life, all the pressure is on him. Now listen, let me say a word about surrendered life, a surrendered life. If a surrendered life is not balanced, then you're just living a weird life. Right? Like, like that lady that just made the news, uh, she, she was eating those Petridge, Pepperidge Farm goldfish, and she got a gold, it's a true story, she got a goldfish out of the box, and she was eating it, and all of a sudden, she saw the face of Jesus on the goldfish. And it had a message for her. That's just weird. <laughs> you, listen, your surrendered life is scaring all of us. Stop it. Stop it now. <laughs> listen. You can be surrendered and not grounded. 
See, Paul had these elements working in his life. We don't even have time for it. This is just homework. Read 1 Corinthians 16. Read verses 10 through 18. Paul all of a sudden rattles off the names of seven people that were in his church. See, Paul understood to be surrendered is to be surrounded. You want to live an effective life? It's not as hard as you think. You yield your life to God. You yield your life to community. Listen, a surrendered life is a surrounded life with other surrendered people that speak into your life. The people that you allow to speak into your life are people that are living a surrendered life. And you're blessed to be at a church at Fellowship of the Rockies that just has so many life groups, so many ministry opportunities. And we surrendered our life to what God wants. And God surrounds us with other surrendered people. After, after Paul met Christ, God brought Paul into community. And it was other surrendered people in his church that spoke into his life. You surround yourself with other surrendered people, and before you know it, you begin going down this path of effective and faithful and purpose and meaning in life. I just need to tell you a personal testimony. This church has changed the trajectory of my life. From the words of encouragement that I've received, from the words of counsel that I've received, some, some people saw some things in me that I did not even see in myself. Text messages that I receive, emails that I receive, mostly positive. <laughs> Prayers. The life group that I'm involved in. Pastors. This church speaking into my life. Elders speaking into my life. You just need to know this. I'm in community. And I'm surrounded with surrendered people. Proverbs 18.1. Here's what the word says. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. In other words, I come to, the chur I come to church for the good of me. Whoever isolates himself, not as wise as he thinks he is, or she thinks she is. Whoever isolates himself, full of themselves. If you're full of yourself, you can never be full of God. Then he goes and breaks out against all sound judgment, telling you, you weren't designed to live this life alone. You don't live an effective life. You tell God, God, you're real. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. I'll surrender, and I will surround myself with other surrendered people who can speak into my life. I want to live an effective life. I want to live a wise life. Can you imagine what 2015 would be like at Fellowship of the Rockies if we all said we're all in? And we're going to live a surrendered life, surrounded in community with other surrendered people. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? With your heads bowed and eyes closed, let me just ask you a question. What is God saying to you as a result of this message? I mean, what is, what, what is he saying to you as a result of this message? You may be like the Apostle Paul before he met Christ. You may never have come to that place to where you met him. Maybe he brought you here this morning so that he'd just speak to you. And regardless of your past, regardless of your stuff, he says, I can make it beautiful in its time.
And maybe, you know what, maybe you just need to quit struggling. Maybe you just need to quit fighting. And say, God, I, I totally surrender my life to you. I just want to accept you. I just want to start a new life with you. I ask that you'd forgive me of my sin. I ask you to make it beautiful in its time. I ask you that you'd redeem it, whatever words you want to use. And God, to the very best of my ability, I'm going to follow you. And I'm going to surrender to you, and I'm going to surround myself with other surrendered people. Maybe this morning you're a believer. You say, you know what? I get it. I've been living Lone Ranger Christianity that God did not call me to live. And I, I'm getting in the game. Because I'm not going to look back on my life and say, God placed me in one of the most exciting churches where he is doing something every week, and I am not going to miss it. And I'm going to live an effective life. I don't know what God has for you. God has something for every one of us. The fact is, there's a next step for every one of us. Maybe this morning you're here and you say, you know what, I, I, I just need prayer. I am carrying a burden and I just need prayer. Whether it's a financial issue, whether it's a medical issue, whether it's a relational issue, whether you want to come down and you just need prayer for someone else, whether you want to talk to someone about your spiritual journey, it does not matter to us. What matters to us, if you're carrying a burden, we won't lift it. So in just a few minutes, I'm going to pray. As soon as I pray, we're going to stand. And when we stand, if you need prayer in any area of your life, as you stand up, you step out, begin making your way down here. And we want to have the opportunity to pray for you. We want to have the opportunity to minister to you. We want to have the opportunity to lift that burden from you. If you need prayer, you come. After I pray, we stand. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your love. And Father, we thank you for your grace. By the power of your name, we ask you to draw this church very closely to you. And that we just respond to you. We just surrender to you. Whatever you're calling us to do, may we just do that in what you bless it. May you lift burdens. May you answer prayer in ways that only you can do. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.